The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Good morning, church, and thank you so much for joining us today online. Wherever you're at, however you're watching, I just believe that God has something really, really great in store for each and every one of us. Uh, I put out some communication this past week just letting you know that we are shooting for a June 7th date to be back in our physical locations. There's a ton of work that's going to go into that to making sure that we keep people safe, but you can go ahead and mark your calendars for that date. We will continue to put all of our content online, though, starting that day. For those who do not feel comfortable coming back, you'll still have this option. Last week, we started our study through the book of Philippians. It's going to take us 20 weeks to get through it, so we're going to go very, very slowly. But we saw this amazing book, a very personal letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he loved in Philippi, and he told them, hey guys, I figured it out. I've got the secret. I know how to be content in all situations. And he says, there is a peace that comes from God, a peace that transcends all understanding. And when we grasp that peace that comes from the Lord, that's where it has to come from, not from other things. When we grasp that peace, it leads to unspeakable joy, a joy that says, I will rejoice. I will rejoice always. And Paul refrains that all throughout this beautiful letter. And today, we're going to look at just the first two verses of chapter one. So we're, we're not going quick through this, but just the first two verses, we're going to get to see some of the main people in the book of Philippians. We're going to get to look at the church a little bit closer, and then we're going to get to the end of just verse two, and we're going to see maybe one more step to this, that in order for us to receive this peace that transcends all understanding, we need to understand the grace of God the unmerited favor, the unconditional love of God. It is a foundational building piece to being able to receive the peace that comes from him. So Philippians chapter one, verses one and two, it says this, Paul and Timothy, there's two of our main people. They are servants of Christ Jesus. And they're writing to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with a subgroup of people, with the overseers and the deacons, Verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul and Timothy, the first ones who are mentioned there in verse 1. As I said last week, Paul is writing this from a prison, most likely in Rome. He has been arrested for sharing the gospel. He's been sent there. He's awaiting trial. But while he's doing so, he's seen great favor with the guards. He's being allowed visitors to come in. And one of those visitors is his spiritual son in the faith, Timothy. Now, it's not all great. Because you see that Paul, the former persecutor, is now being persecuted for his faith. The one who decades earlier went around city to city, rounding up the Christians, throwing them into prison. He now has been imprisoned because of his faith. The book of Acts gives us so much insight into the narrative, into the story of of Paul and his life and his missionary journeys. And so as we look at Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says this, Paul... Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and he put them in prison. How ironic now that he's the one in chains because of the same gospel he was trying to snuff out. In Acts chapter 9, we hear of the conversion of Paul, how the Lord literally strikes him blind on the road to Damascus. He, He sees 
Saul, Paul coming, he blinds him, he speaks to him, and he sends him on his way. In Acts chapter 9, verses 13 through 16, says, Lord, Ananias answered. Ananias is a servant that God is sending to speak to Paul. I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I think that's very interesting that the Lord speaking to Ananias says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I chose this guy. I chose this guy, and he's not going to have the easiest life. And We'll read here in just a moment about some of the experiences that Paul had. He's in prison now, but this was his third imprisonment. It, this call by the Lord was not to a cush kind of life. This call was to a missionary life, to a life that would be poured out like a drink offering, as Paul says in the book of Philippians. It's not the easiest life, but it is a life that the Lord had called him to, and a life that would be marked by suffering. But this is the man, this is the man now from prison in Rome who's writing to the Philippians. We see that Paul is not alone. He's with Timothy, his traveling companion for his second missionary journey. We see when Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter 16, verse 1 and 3 and 5. It says, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, a God-fearing woman, but whose father was a Greek, a Gentile, did not believe in God. Verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along, that's Timothy, on the journey. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in number. Timothy was a young man devoted to Paul and his mission. Timothy was a companion, a loyal friend, a spiritual son in the faith. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 24 Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. This is to the church in Philippi. I want to send Timothy that I also may be cheered when I receive good news about you. I have no one else like him. What a great compliment. He will show you genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, but not those who are of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Now, I know we skipped ahead to chapter 2, but we see a beautiful passage there. It talks about the relationship between Paul and Timothy, but also we see Paul's mindset. He's optimistic. He's optimistic that he's going to get to make the 800-mile journey to Philippi. He's optimistic that he's going to be able to send Timothy very soon with, with encouraging news, and Timothy's going to be able to get back to him to cheer him up, let him know how things are going in Philippi. He loved this church in Philippi. He loved Timothy, and he thought the Lord was for sure going to release him from this imprisonment to continue on with his work for the kingdom. That's his mindset. As we read other letters that Paul wrote from prison, that mindset began to change as he started to see that this would probably end in his martyrdom. But as for now, as for the writing of this letter, Paul is optimistic. He's, he's certain that he will get to continue the good work. 
in verse 1 of Philippians 1, it describes Timothy and Paul as servants. The word servant, it's a title. It's a title of humility. It denotes dependence and obedience and acknowledgement of ownership. And I know we don't use that term to describe people very often, but the word servant literally means slave or bond servant. Paul and Timothy understood because of the grace and the love shown to them through Christ Jesus that their entire life was now his. He was their master He was their Lord. And these servants, these humble servants, are seeking to encourage the church in Philippi. They're writing to all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. The term holy people is also translated saints. Maybe some of your Bibles has the word saints there. All Christians were called by this term in the New Testament. It literally means holy one, consecrated one. The one who's been set apart. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession. I don't want to just jump over that verse. I want you to know that those of you who are in Christ Jesus, those of you that because of God's grace through faith, you are one of His. You are His valued possession. But as his possession, he has set you apart. He has consecrated you to be holy, to reflect Jesus. And I love, I love the contrast there. In just verse 1 of of Philippians 1, Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves. The church in Philippi, saints. Followers of Jesus, obedient to his call, to his purpose. This is not just flattery. This is not just something nice to say at the beginning of a letter. Paul really believed this, and he believed it not because of their own goodness, but because the church in Philippi understood the gospel. They were able to apply the gospel to their own life, and they saw that they were set apart and holy because God is holy. That their righteousness is not because of their moral behavior, but because of a God who is righteous and who through Christ Jesus imputed his righteousness upon them. They're saints, not just because of who they are, but because of whose they are. We can learn so much from just these different phrases. They were saints in Philippi, a church that started very strong and apparently from Paul's writing is still very, very strong. I mentioned this briefly last week, but the church was started when Paul received a vision, a dream one night that said, hey, we need you to come over here. Paul was actually heading east and the Lord stopped him. And then the vision came and he went west into Macedonia towards Greece. He went further west than the gospel had ever gone into a place where the name of Jesus would maybe have been heard, but in context of some rebellion in Jerusalem decades before. He went into a heavily, heavily Gentile area to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And he did so because the Lord led him there. The first convert in Philippi was Lydia, a powerful woman, an affluent woman, who we find out opens her house up for the believers to come and to gather and to worship and to pray. But there's a really powerful story. While Paul is walking through Philippi with his traveling companion, Silas. He's, I, I'm assuming, doing some street evangelism. He's, he's talking to random people. But there's this slave girl that keeps following them, keeps following Paul and Silas. And she is just yelling out all day long, I know who you are. You're servants of the Most High God. I know you. I know you. And it's the demon within her that's declaring 
the power of God that they see in Paul and in Silas. Paul gets frustrated finally after some days of this. And he turns around and he rebukes the demon and this young girl and the demon comes out. Now, now there's a problem. You see, uh, there were men who were using this young girl for profit uh, because this demon was able to foretell the future or at least people thought she, she could. So you, you come, hear this girl is clearly demon-possessed, we'll tell your future. Well, the demon's gone. They lose their revenue stream. Uh, they go to the magistrates in the city of Philippi and they say, these men right here are not Romans. They are not obeying our laws. They just ruined our business. And the magistrates don't ask any questions. They just take Paul and Silas and they severely beat them. It says in Acts chapter 16 that after they were flogged severely, um, a flogging is terrible because a lot of people didn't make it through that. We're talking heinous disfiguration. I mean, this is this is something really big. You couldn't flog a Roman citizen. We'll, we'll read about that at the end of Acts chapter 16, that when Paul says, hey, I'm a Roman citizen, the magistrates lose their mind because they knew they'd just done something terribly wrong. They beg for his forgiveness. But so after this severe beating, they're thrown into the inner cell of the jail there in Philippi to nurse their wounds without any proper stuff. And in Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 34, we pick up the story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. If I'm beaten and bloody, all because I cast a demon out of a young girl, I don't know that my response at midnight is to be singing hymns and praying. But that's just the kind of person that Paul was. Verse 26, Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Now, earthquake may be coincidence, maybe. All the chains popping loose, all the doors coming open, that's miraculous. That's God doing something that people cannot discredit, that they cannot just write off as coincidence. So this is the story, verse 27. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. The jailer called out for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It took this miraculous event and this mercy that was shown by Paul to the jailer for him to say, everything you've been talking about in my city, I've heard about it. And, and I need to know what I need to do to be saved. Verse 31, they replied, you simply need to believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. It's faith through grace. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the middle of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, showed them mercy. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his entire household. We see that the church in Philippi in its infancy has strong leadership, miraculous events, things happening around it that no one can deny. And it's because of that that I think there's several of these characteristics in the church that, that we can learn from 
Some of them are specific to them. The, the first characteristic of the church in Philippi was predominantly Gentile. That's because of the Roman soldiers who retired there. It appears to be heavily female. You have Lydia. Her home was the one that was used in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. This is Paul kind of wrapping up his letter. He says, yes, I ask you, my true companions, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. My running mates for the planting of this church were strong women. The church in Philippi, it was missional and it was generous. In Philippians chapter 4, again, Paul just commends the intentionality that the church has to spreading the gospel. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, we see something really cool. This is Paul writing again, but to a completely different church. Now, brothers and sisters in Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, the church in Philippi being the center of that. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You have this church that rejoices in the Lord, that understands peace, peace that transcends all understanding. They get this. They get that that comes from the Lord. And now in the midst of severe trial and in their poverty, they say, hey, we don't got anything anyway. So we might as well give the little bit we've got left to people who are maybe in worse shape than we are. That is extreme generosity. That is generosity that comes only from the Lord and knowing that you were loved first, so it's right to love others and trusting that he will provide. That's the kind of church in Philippi. They were healthy. They were biblically structured. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy address the overseers and the deacons. Those are the elders and the deacons. He speaks to them and he says, hey, look, guys, this church has biblically qualified leadership. In my opinion, the healthiest churches the healthiest ones that I've ever seen, they are churches that have a plurality of leadership, not just one person leading the show. They have a plurality of leadership, and that leadership understands that they are subject to the Lord and to the Word of God. We at Summit, we want to be a church that is governed in that way, that is led in that way by godly shepherds. The church in Philippi was. It had deacons that were commissioned to serve, to do the work of ministry, to carry out the vision and the mission it was powerful. It was good. It was a healthy church. And then finally, we get to verse 2, Philippians chapter 1, verse 2. It says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. And these come from our Lord, from our Father. We want you to understand the grace and the peace that God has given you. The word grace, it's a Greek greeting. It's very common it speaks of unmerited favor and kindness upon them. Grace to you, unmerited favor from the Lord Jesus to you, and peace. This is a common Jewish greeting. The word shalom, the peace of God over them, resulting from the favor and kindness that the Lord has shown to them. Grace and peace to you from our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source. He's the source of this grace and this peace, which Paul desires so much for the Philippian church to receive and to have, which I desire so much for us to understand as we walk through this book. If we want to get to unspeakable joy, it starts with the grace of God, the unmerited favor, which then leads us to the peace of God. And the peace of God is profound because it is so whole and it is so complete. The shalom of God, which is where we begin our journey towards unspeakable joy, it talks about three things. The peace of God comes with peace amongst ourselves, amongst others. 
I don't know if in this quarantine time you've experienced conflict, maybe within your home, within your family, maybe within your coworkers, so on and so forth, but there's peace with others that comes from this peace that God gives us. Proverbs chapter 16, verse seven, when the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. When the Lord sees you seeking him first, casting your anxieties and your worries upon him, he will seek to bring peace to you and to your relationships. You have peace with others. You have peace with God. Part of the shalom is peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know how many of you are struggling today to say, God, I'm at peace with you. I'm at peace with this. I trust that you're going to move for my good. I just, I just know that the people I talk to so often that feel distant from God, they think God has no desire for them whatsoever. But I want you to understand that the grace that God offers is unmerited. It means you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do to get it. There's nothing that you can do to lose it. His love for you is unconditional. His love for you is unconditional. And through faith in Jesus, all you have to do is cry out, just like the Philippian jailer. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord. All you've got to do is cry out, Jesus, I believe in you. And this truth, this peace between you and God, it is a result of that faith. And then finally, peace with oneself. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard you, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul writes this book so that we might have peace. Peace that leads to unspeakable joy. Peace with God, peace with others, peace with ourselves. Church, I don't, I don't know what you need today. But if we're going to be a church that's marked by joy, if we're going to be a people that's marked by joy, I want you to see where we need to start. We need to start with the grace of God, his unmerited favor. In that we have hope, we have all that we need. His grace is sufficient for all of your needs. It will lead you in faith because that grace calls us, it woos us to faith and belief in Jesus. It will lead us to faith that will produce peace and that peace will ultimately spawn great joy. So I just ask you very simply today, is there conflict, is there discontent with others? Is there conflict, is there discontent between you and God? Is there conflict, is there discontent with yourself, with your own mind, your own space? And if so, then, then work backwards and understand the grace that will lead to the faith, that will lead to the peace, that will lead to the joy. Because God is sufficient. He loves you so much. His love for you is perfect and pure. And I pray today that as you respond to this message, you will be real with yourself and where you're at. And you will allow this God, this God that we can rejoice in to move mightily in your life. Father, I thank you for each and every person today who's listening to your word. And I pray that your grace will pour out upon them, that you will lead them to faith in you. And that faith will produce a peace that transcends all understanding and God, that that will bring us joy. In this season where we're lacking so much joy, Lord, I know we need you. So come and just fill our hearts and our minds. Jesus, come and move as only you can. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.